Founders, you never have enough. Never enough resources, never enough time, never enough money, just never enough. It's a blanket that constantly leaves your feet or your head cold. No matter how you stretch it, it's just not enough. So today, let's sit back, take a listen, as our guest walks us through how to get more for your people and actually make it enough. Today on the podcast. Welcome to the Founders Place Podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Will. Todd Will. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Our guest today is Casey Winters. Casey has this amazing background of every place from apartments.com, Pinterest, Grubhub, Greylock Partners. The guy is a growth marketer extraordinaire. And he's found a way over a course of his travels to actually figure out how to make that blanket stretch a little bit farther to get more bang from your buck. And his whole thing is around, well, the idea of collaboration. That's a buzzword we throw around, like leveraging the low-hanging fruit to open the kimono. But Casey's found a way to actually make collaboration work. So sit back, take a listen. So it's today on the podcast, we talk about collaboration. Well, Casey, thank you for joining. We really appreciate it. Um, we're excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you for spending some time with us, and we're interested in hearing your ideas. Uh, yeah, thanks first for off, me. just yeah. So for, first off, just so just so everybody gets a sense of who you are, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, so my name is Casey Winters. I'm a growth advisor in residence at Greylock Partners, which is a venture capital firm that usually does Series A, you know, and B deals. I have been here for about a year. Prior to this, I was at Pinterest for three years. I led the growth team there with a focus on, you know, making Pinterest grow internationally. You know, it was pretty popular in the U.S., but didn't have much of a presence internationally. And I stayed there from 40 million active users to 150 million active users. Worked on a lot of different things from, you know, acquiring more users via SEO, increasing conversion rates to sign up improving retention through like emails, notifications, and simplifying the product, all sorts of things. Prior to Pinterest, I worked at Grubhub for five and a half years. I started as the first marketing person and built out all of the acquisition and retention, you know, everything from spending money on TV to loyalty programs and everything in between. Um, my team kind of worked on, and I left you know six months before the IPO, uh, and now that company continues to do well. And I started my career as an analyst uh, in an online marketing team at, at apartments.com. And that I felt was just a really great way to learn how online companies use these new tools to grow, like search engines, like email, like affiliate marketing. And that was really the foundation for me to start working on some of that stuff myself, which has you know, guided the rest of my career. Well, and I think that's a really great place to start. So let's let's start back with your early days as an analyst at apartments.com. You know, one of the things I heard from you was a lot of tools, platforms, technologies, approaches to reach that audience. And I think a lot of a lot of early stage entrepreneurs, especially as they're getting started, are overwhelmed by the options. And so yep. what were some of the things that you got early on at apartments.com that sort of set the course for your career? and helped you help them, so to speak? I think the, the main thing that I learned is just how powerful search engines are and you know how much 
demand they generate for so many different types of businesses. When you think about apartments.com, it's a product that you don't need all the time, right? You're looking for a place to live maybe once a year, uh, more than likely once every few years. And when you need something and you don't know how to solve it, uh, pretty much everyone goes to Google to figure out what to do. And you know, there are multiple ways to leverage the demand that's on Google. You can, you know, uh, work on AdWords and show up in the ad-supported spots, and you can also work on your site to actually increase the chances of you ranking organically. And that really introduced me to the concept of, well, you can tweak your marketing to improve, uh, you know, the performance of your product, or you can tweak the product, you know, to get more users as well. And that's been kind of a guiding theme through my career is, you know, moving back and forth between working on the product to drive growth and working on, you know, more traditional marketing channels to drive growth and kind of everything in between. And as a, as a company thinking through those uh, levers to pull, right? Do we, do we yep. put this into marketing? Do we put it into product? Do we mix the two? What are some of the, I don't know, call them decision trees or what are some of the big factors that companies need to start looking at especially those early stage companies as they're thinking about, you know, where do I put my energy? Yeah. Uh, great question. You know, I come from a marketing undergrad marketing MBA. So my kind of purview to this decision initially was like, all of this stuff is marketing product development is part of marketing. User research is part of marketing, you know, advertising is part of marketing, uh, positioning is part of marketing. And what I've learned over my career is that, you know, the, the definition of marketing has spread so broad that there's just very few people that are capable of having expertise in all of those things I just listed, including a bunch of other things I didn't list that are part of marketing. So what's happening is marketing is splintering into different teams, uh, and some of them are assuming more responsibility than others uh, inside, you know, everywhere from startups to large organizations. So when you think about product management as a function, uh, these are people that are focused on building a product, and fundamentally they have uh, three potential things that they can spend time on. They can spend time on innovating, that is you know, creating new value propositions for customers. They can spend time on iterating, which is like improving on the current value proposition to customers, or they can spend time on what I call growth, which is connecting more people to the value propositions that have already been built, uh, which is sometimes getting more users, but sometimes it's just reducing the friction that prevents people from seeing the value that's already there in the product. And when you overlay that with a traditional marketing team uh, in a technology company, they also have three levers. They have brand marketing, which you know people understand well, but is hard to measure uh, and it's hard to scale. Uh, you know, if you have a great marketing message, it works for a while and then it stops working. You need to create something new. Uh, there's performance marketing, which is things like AdWords, uh, Facebook ads, retargeting, display advertising, things that are very measurable, very scalable, but they scale with an advertising budget. And then that growth piece from product sometimes fits in marketing where it's like, we're, te we're tweaking the product to rank better on SEO. We're trying to improve our conversion rates. Uh, we're trying to improve our emails and notifications. And those are things that are you know, also scalable, also measurable, but 
require working with engineers and designers uh, or, you know, fancy marketing technology tools so that you don't have to work with engineers and designers. And then there's been this weird overlap. So what happened, uh, you know, in the last five years is that overlap just created a third team called growth teams. Uh, and those were separate teams. And that was kind of in vogue for a while. And uh, while that was good, it created some other issues, which is, you know, neither the product nor the marketing team now understood what was happening with this piece in between that they both care about. So now what I'm seeing more is the move toward cross-functional teams, including product managers, marketers, engineers, and designers, all thinking about, you know, this growth piece. How do I connect more people to the value that we've already built? And I think that's going to be a more sustainable path in the future is, you know, people from these different backgrounds working together on a cross-functional team instead of deciding which functional team owns this thing that really touches a lot of parts of the business. Well, and it sounds like what you're describing is similar to what happened a few years ago with integrated marketing, where all of a sudden people started thinking about how do I have a single message across all these channels? You're taking that same principle, that same philosophy and making it more collaborative across the entire life cycle. So bringing in product, um, marketing, the marketing disciplines, and then even into sales and sales ops, helping them to build an entire cohesive strategy that crosses all of those and has that more collaborative nature. Is that a good way to look at it? Yeah, absolutely. So my experience is more on the consumer businesses, right? So we don't have, you know, sales and sales ops as important functions, but on the B2B side, you know, that's critical, right? And, you know, people think of sales as this, oh, I go in and I charm the room and I, I get the handshake deal. When, I mean, you and I know that sales is very metrics focused now. You're mapping that entire funnel and you have sales, marketing, and product working on all those steps of the funnel to try to drive the person through to an actual purchase and to actually retain those users. And, if you're not doing that, you know, very collaboratively, you're just going to lose out the people who are. There's so many moving parts now, especially in these longer sales cycles. So everything that you are saying makes intuitive sense. So let's translate that to, okay, now I'm, again, I'm that early stage founder. I've, maybe I'm at a stage where I'm just thinking about, you know, accelerating growth for my company. Maybe I've got some growth and I'm looking to build out that marketing function, or maybe we're looking to bring in that next layer of, you know, leadership to help us get through that, you know, sort of third round. But as you think through that life cycle, all right, how do they take this information? How do they put it into practice? What are some of the big moves that you've seen leaders do that, that have worked well to help them put these ideas into practice? Yep. So I think traditionally what entrepreneurs at that stage have done is they've tried to hot, go hire an exec to figure it out, like hire a VP of marketing, right? And that usually doesn't work out so well um, because most of the time you're hiring an exec from a company much larger uh, than you are. And you think they're going to bring the best practices you know, to your company, but really they're bringing, bringing the best practices of a much larger company. Uh, they're not bringing the best practices to a company at your stage. So they try to hire too many people. You don't see the results very quickly. And as an entrepreneur, you're like, what's going on? Like, all of a sudden, I got 10 people over here. I'm still not growing any faster. And then that's why you see a lot of VP of marketing with you know, fairly short tenures. Uh, so 
what I've seen the smarter entrepreneurs do, uh, and I mean just smarter because it's work, not that they're more intelligent or anything, uh, <laughs> is they're finding people that um, have been at the company for a while and have a lot of in-depth knowledge, and they're just saying, hey, I know you've been working on this thing, but now actually growth is the thing I want you to, to work on. You know, m- marketing, sale, improving sales, improving marketing, improving the, you know, the product's ability to drive more users. And they just take a couple seasoned people, like usually like an engineer, a designer, um, an early marketer, an early PM, whatever, and they just say, hey, go off in the quarter and work on one of these pieces that is inhibiting growth. It could be the onboarding. It could be, you know, the conversion rate of a phone call to a sale. Um, it could be like the capturing of email addresses. You know, there's just so many of these parts in a funnel um, that usually an early stage startup hasn't worked on a whole lot, um, but provides some big opportunity. And they just, you know, get a couple people and they say, just go off in the corner and work exclusively on this run a bunch of experiments and try to figure out what, what you can do. And then what I've seen companies do in that regard is like they'll come back later and they're like, yeah, we actually just doubled our conversion rate um, to sign up or to you know, email capture. And then you know, at that point, the entrepreneur is like, wow, this has massive impact to every metric of our business. How do I, how do I fuel this even more? And that's usually when you start making it a bigger team and then you start thinking about bringing in a management layer to, you know, call it a growth team, call it a marketing team, whatever the case may be. But the mistakes I've seen is people try to hire the the leader first. Um, and by definition, the leader doesn't know where the opportunities are because they're just joining. Uh, and a lot of times they're trying to do stuff that the startup isn't ready for. Whereas you're, if you're building it internally, like validating that, you've had these big opportunities and you've already had some big wins, then bringing in the leader, um, you're usually more ripe to have long-term success there. So if I can play that back for you a little bit, it sounds like where you've seen the missteps, right? And even to call them failures is uh, bringing in someone with a, you know, great pedigree, great experience, but someone from the outside doesn't know the business. They're setting them up for failure because they don't know where those opportunities are. However, if you can build small teams and set them upon a task of, hey, I as a leader know that this area or this area is causing a problem with onboarding or causing a problem with conversions or causing kickups from a user experience, et cetera, um, they can go solve those problems and then you build a core team around them. And once that grows to scale, then bring in a leader to help drive and lead that core team to go tackle the next round of problems. Is that Exactly. Now, sometimes those early people evolve into that leader and you don't need to bring in someone external. But a lot of times, you know, early stage startup problem solvers are not the same people that you know, want to be managing a 10 person team. Right. It's just a slightly different skill set. Some people evolve and some people want to continue to do, you know, kind of scrappy problem solving things elsewhere in the company. So, you know, I get a lot of questions of like, hey, Casey, like, how do I find a VP of marketing? How do I find a VP of growth? And then I, you know, I basically now because I've seen this happen, like Intercom certainly built its team this way, uh, and that's kind of a notable example from um, that I've heard about. Uh, it's like no, just get the people who already know the issues to start working on the issues, um, because it's going to be hard to attract the right VP of marketing or VP of growth um, 
when they see you haven't worked on anything yet. Um, they don't know if there are big opportunities yet because you haven't had any big wins. Uh, and they don't really know how much support they're going to get if they join, right? The, the case of a VP of marketing joining a startup and expecting that they're going to have a $10 million budget, and then on like week one they realize they have no budget is an all-too-common experience that I've heard uh, and I've seen personally um, in some of the companies I've worked on. So uh, a lot of those more senior people want to wait and kind of prove that the company actually cares about this stuff and they've actually already devoted resources to it and they've already had success before kind of jumping in. Uh, and usually if it's someone that's willing to do it without jumping in, it's, it might not be the right candidate. So it sounds like, too, that this approach, this um, uh, small, more aggressive team approach, and then building into a leader has both the benefit for the organization and for the potential marketer. You're going to draw in better, more appropriate talent if you've already shown a willingness to go in and build these types of programs and build this at scale versus just coming in and trying to woo some um, hotshot executive in when you haven't actually done any marketing for the organization yet. Exactly. So, I mean, the lesson's been learned on both sides. So, right, the marketing talent, the growth talent, uh, they've seen this play out before where, you know, the company talks a big game about how they're interested in doing all these things and then they get there and then they realize it was kind of a sham and there there's no way for them to be successful. So now a lot of the, you know, executive talent or just senior talent has said, you know, I'm going to wait and I want you to prove that you've actually yeah. started working on this without me um, and that you actually care about it before, you know, I go take a big risk and join, you know, this startup because usually they have pretty good jobs already, right? Um, so that's kind of the change um, that I've seen on, uh, you know, both the talent side and on the startup side, and it creates a win-win for both, right? Like perhaps the entrepreneur has dedicated resources to this and it's not working out super well. Then you've you know, learned that maybe it wasn't a good idea to go hire a VP of marketing right now. Maybe you have a core product problem that's the bigger issue. And then you, know, you haven't um, you know, allocated a big chunk of equity to someone who can't help a you know, big salary and perhaps aggressively accelerate your burn as that person you know, built up a team. So this this also goes back to something that you said a little bit earlier about these sort of fragmentation of roles. And and I think what a lot of executives are doing is they're putting people into their wheelhouse and they've defined roles and responsibilities for people. Um, you are the product marketing person. You're the growth marketing person. You're the performance marketing person. You're the product person. Add on to an item. How do you how do you steer and guide the the early stage exec, the founder, the entrepreneur, et cetera, how do you steer and guide them to, to help break down some of those silos so they don't create these fragmented groups that then will fundamentally grow up to not work together? Uh, great question. And that's a lot of what I work on, you know, in my advising and consulting, both with Greylock and with companies outside the Greylock portfolio. What I am trying to get most entrepreneurs, CEOs to do as early as possible is move to the cross-functional unit as the default. So sure, you're going to have functional teams for design and engineering and product and marketing. And you know the engineers are going to report to a head of engineering, the designers are going to report to a head of design, et cetera. But in terms of what they work on and who they work with, uh, they should think of the cross-functional team, not their functional team as their primary team. So the designer here, the engineer here, and 
the product manager here, they're working on onboarding and they think of themselves as the onboarding team and they think of their teammates as, you know, if I'm the product manager, the designer and the engineer they're working with, less so than the other product managers. So the main thing I'm trying to do is if people aren't that way by default, is move them to that default as quickly as possible. And it's not, it's still not the standard. So Pinterest was certainly structured that way when I got there. Uh, and Grubhub, we moved to more of that style over time. But a lot of the startups I'm working with are still in, stuck in that functional model. They think that's how you, you build teams. And from a career pathing standpoint, that is correct. From an execution standpoint, it's incorrect. And these cross-functional units are really the ways to be uh, most successful. You know, Evan Sharp, who's the co-founder of Pinterest, he believed in this concept of, of knitting, which is, you know, that people from different backgrounds working together on the same problem sets create the best solutions. And I certainly have seen that uh, bear out to be true in my career. And I think it's just become a dominant strategy for, for how to build solutions for your company. But it's, you know, still in the early stages of evolving into a best practice. You know, maybe 20% of the companies are doing it, certainly not 100%. And as you're having these conversations, how, see, how do I put this? How easy of a sell is this for most executives? Because this sounds like it intuitively makes sense, but a fairly progressive idea and not something that a lot of executives have been sort of born and raised and bred up around where there's more functional roles. So this idea of knitting is new to yeah. them. How, how are those conversations been going and what have you seen been some of the common themes as you talk to these, you know, executives and, and entrepreneurs? Yeah, so uh, you're absolutely correct. And I think there's a couple of things to think about. I think in a cross-functional unit model, you have to make it very clear what the exec's role is because it does shift. You know, the exec can get a little bit concerned about, well, what do I actually do here? Um, if my team is now sitting, you know, next to engineers and product managers instead of with the rest of the marketers. And what... I worked on at Grubhub um, when we started moving towards this is saying like, hey, you as the exec, you have the visibility into what all of your direct reports are working on and you have to make sure these different cross-functional units are working together to create a combined story and, and a singular product experience for the user. So if you're the VP of product, you have to know that the people working on onboarding and the people working on the core experience and the people working on the emails and notifications all align to kind of feel like it becomes the same product, right? And not, you know, this Frankenstein-y effect where you're like, oh, as soon as you get past onboarding, you get to another part of the product and it feels like something totally different. So that's a very important role. Um, and you need to do that across marketing, design, product management, engineering. <clears throat> but I think you, you need to spend the time to educate that like, hey, you as a manager, this is the primary thing that you're doing. And the other thing that you're working on is the career pathing for each of the members of your team. How do you make sure they grow? How do you remove barriers for them? Those sorts of things. So that's one step. Um, and in terms of, you asked about kind of the difficulty of moving it. Um, you know, uh, someone told me, I never waste a good crisis. And a lot of times what precipitates the move to a cross-functional team is these functional teams trying to get things done and they're like, oh, you know, in marketing, but I just can't get engineering to even talk to me to do the things we need to get done. Or, you know, uh, 
you know, you're an engineer and you're like, design just like won't align on our roadmap and they take forever to get, you know, uh, the designs for these things. So if you have those sorts of risks creating because the functional teams have realized how much they get limited by not being able to work with these other functional teams, that's where it becomes a lot easier to insert it. And that just happens a little bit over time, right? That I see that naturally happening as execs spend more and more time trying to achieve their plans. They realize they just can't do it by themselves. They need the help from these other teams. And if all these teams are setting their own roadmaps and plans separately, essentially nothing ends up getting done for any of them. Uh, and that is usually when they're really receptive to moving to a more cross-functional approach. There's still some nervousness around, okay, well, what do I actually do if I'm not on the cross-functional team as the exec? Uh, and that's where you explain kind of how their role as an exec shifts a bit. Well, I think this will be a good one to end on. How does their role shift a bit? So if you're, if you're talking to those executives that have that nervousness there, um, what does their core responsibility change to as they move to these more cross-functional uh, designs? Yeah, so it's kind of what I was talking about earlier, that the main two things I think the exec role or the manager role um, moves toward is I'm there to make sure there's a consistent experience across all of the um, teams that my uh, that the people that report to me are on. So, you know, if I'm the VP of marketing and I have uh, – a marketer on my team on the acquisition team, a marketer on my team on the retention team, a marketer on my team, you know, doing product marketing for new features being built. I need to make sure that all of those people understand what everyone else is working on. And I need to edit what they're working on to make sure it tells a continuous story uh, through all of those different areas. And there's obviously a similar version of that for design. Need to make sure it feels like the same designed product all the way through. Um, for product management, you need to make sure that there's glue in between these, uh, you know, different stages of the product. For engineering, you want to make sure that you're building a consistent framework underneath uh, that can scale, things like that. So that's kind of the one piece. And then the other piece is uh, managing the, the career growth of all of those people that directly report to you. And, you know, how do they grow their career? How do, get, how do they get better at their current um, jobs? So... And I think those those two things are like supremely important roles, like both the career pathing to make sure your people are happy and growing and getting better at their jobs and making sure that, you know, as these different cross-functional units scale, they create one product instead of three products or five products or seven products. And I've certainly seen products that do that well, and I've certainly seen products that do that poorly. And as a user, you notice it when it's done poorly. Yeah, I think we've all been on the receiving end of you could almost look at the design of an organization based on the experience you had either onboarding and using a product. Um, you see where that works seamlessly and it works really well. You see where it's like a completely disjointed. It feels like there's five brands here as you move from one step yeah. to the next and working with a product. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good insights there. Okay. So here's the, here's the last one. It's the catch all question. Is there anything that you wanted to add based on the conversations we've had today, which have been really insightful, by the way, anything you wanted to add or kind of wrap up with again, as you know, as business leaders and as marketers are starting to think through the org structures, they're thinking about how to go tackle these problems. Any, any last thoughts? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, just one thing to think about is, you know, as 
if you're thinking about as a traditional like VP of marketing that's used to owning brand performance marketing and even some of these product-driven growth initiatives like SEO, emails, and, and notifications, I think it's smart to think about what is the most effective path um, for each of those things to work in my organization and then guide what you own and what you kind of give away to other functional units uh, based on that. So if let's say you're in an engineering-rich environment, you might actually want to give away performance marketing, um, which sounds kind of counterintuitive. And why might that be? Uh, let's say you're in a pretty competitive space. You need to be you know, managing your, your bids, your creative um, a lot. You can build algorithms yourself to then manage like your bid prices on AdWords, like how much you're bidding on Facebook and which targets you're doing. You can, you know, create, you know, automated, um, you know, custom audiences, things like that. If you are willing to say like, you know what, I'm going to keep the creative side, yet I'm going to give away the actual management. I'm not going to have someone in marketing pulling the dials. I'm going to actually give it to product and engineering to, you know, automate a lot of these functions. And what I've seen a lot of marketers really struggle with that. So like the, I, the example I gave there was performance marketing, but let's take email as another example. I've had marketers come to me and they're like, I want to send an email about, um, you know, eggs. Eggs are trending right now, a bunch of ways that you can um, use eggs. And then they'll go to the engineering and product team. And they're like, we want to send this to like all the people that are interested in food and drink. Uh, and this is obviously a Pinterest example. And then the engineers are like, well, what if the person's vegan? Like, they still will, uh, you know, want to be, they'll still be following food and drink, but they actually, we actually already know in the product to not show them egg stuff and only show them vegan recipes. So, like, why would we blast this out to people? I can tell you which people actually want eggs, which people actually want barbecue, which people actually want vegan recipes, and we can send one-to-one -one communications of great content to all of them. So, why would we do the blast? And we struggled with communicating to the marketing team that like, hey, this actually is like a less effective strategy and it became more of a ownership game rather than a, just what's the right thing for the user. So as, as you're a VP of marketing, uh, a lot of the future of being more successful is figuring out like, can I actually get more leverage out of this activity by being more cross-functional or shifting the ownership a bit um, to something that's going to work better for the users? And then it's not my org structure that I'm optimizing for. It's the user experience and the success of the organization that I'm optimizing for. And that's a very new thing um, that I'm seeing, but I think VPs of marketing would be wise uh, to think ahead about. And it's like, yeah, I used to own email marketing, I used to own performance marketing, but by moving it to more of a cross-functional unit or even kind of giving some of that away, um, the company's more successful and the brand is more successful, you know, which is the thing that marketers will always own. Um, and so just playing the long game there is something I would encourage, uh, you know, marketing people to think about instead of thinking more about ownership. Well, it's, it seems like that approach democratizes control a little bit more and allows good ideas to come from anywhere, especially as the cross-functional teams are, are being built and, and forming and working together but it does feel like it moves away from that sort of command and control environment, which is again, one of the nuances we've been discussing on this entire podcast is how do you build these new teams for success and how do you think through some of those dynamics? And this has been some good food for thought. And um, I'm sure we're not going to be able to solve all of this in the, 
you know, in the in the next couple of minutes, but it certainly is enough to start getting people thinking about this new dynamic and the new direction they should be heading. Yeah, I mean, you know, you iterate on org structure the same way you iterate on marketing plans and you iterate on product development, right? You're you're always just trying to get a little bit better every day and there's always going to be some things that work better than others and uh, I think, you know, kind of what we've been chatting about today is you know, some of the some of the iterations that I've seen made that have really been, been helpful. But, you know, these things are going to continue to evolve as new channels open up, as new platforms open up, and just being a little bit more nimble about what makes the best holistic experience for the customers, what should drive, you know, marketers, product people, engineers, designers, instead of kind of, uh, you know, how can I have this function own the most piece of the company? Perfect. Well, great ending. Uh, Casey, thank you so much for joining us today. Fantastic thoughts. Uh, really loved having the conversation and, and hearing your views and insights. Uh, I'm hoping our audiences did as well. And so thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks again for having me. Well, Casey's absolutely phenomenal. I just love listening to him speak. His insights on everything from this concept of knitting, collaboration, how to build and motivate Tiger teams and to get your marketing team to start thinking in new and unique ways was so spot on. If you'd like to follow Casey, and I suggest you do, you can follow him at One Caseman, and that's for Twitter and for Facebook. I'd also suggest Casey Winters on LinkedIn, or more importantly, follow him and his blog on his website, CaseyAccidental.com. For me, the book and the insights that were shared by Casey are available now on Barnes & Noble and Amazon, and that's Beyond Product, How Exceptional Founders Embrace Marketing to Create and Capture Value for Their Business. We're excited to get that out in stores, and you can also follow me here on foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co, the place where exceptional founders grow. Thanks for taking a listen. Please follow us on the website, subscribe to the podcast, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. You've been listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.